The Lord be with you. It's been a few weeks since I've said this, but we're spending our time together in this season looking at the Psalms for a reason. We're going through a period of unrest that none of us have ever lived through before. Some of you have lived through civil rights protests, through race riots even, but never while a global pandemic is going on. And we haven't seen a pandemic like this in a hundred years, which means none of us have experienced something like this at all. And in these uncertain and difficult times, what we need as Christians isn't more information about God. I've said this before, and I believe it firmly, that information alone does not transform. Information is important, and learning is necessary. I loved and love school, but it's not until you put that information into practice and begin to live it out that anything will ever change. What we need right now is not more facts about God. This God who loves us and made us and loves us so much God came to us in Jesus. God lived a perfect and holy life among us that Jesus died and rose again to put back together all that is broken in us and in the world. We've heard that like a thousand times. We don't need more information, more facts about God. What we need is to put the information we already know into practice. What we need to do is pray. And the Psalms are our prayer book. They're our masters in prayer. And as we take up these words together, we do so in order to enter more deeply into the eternal current of God's love for humanity. This is where we learn to receive what God is doing and where we learn to respond. Today's psalm is Psalm 16. It's a psalm of trust, of protection, a psalm that reminds us that it's the Lord and not us that is going to do what needs to be done in us and in the world. But before we hear those words together, I want to invite you to pray with me. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom. And in your way that we find peace. So come, Lord Jesus, and shine your light upon us that we may reflect it into all the darkness of our world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that we love. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. 
you hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Psalm 16 is a psalm of trust. In the same vein as Psalm 23, a psalm that clearly states in whom we place our trust and what we believe God is doing in protecting us. The psalm cries out, protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And goes on to say, you have been good to me. You have blessed me. You instruct and you teach me. You've given me joy and life. These are powerful words. And they're words I've prayed often with you beside hospital beds and in nursing homes. Lord, you have always been faithful. You have blessed us so much in the past. So, Lord, continue to be faithful. Protect us, O Lord. You are our refuge. But as I spent more time with this psalm in these last couple weeks, I came to see that there's something that sets it apart from psalms like 23. Because this psalm doesn't just say, Lord, you're great, and you've done great things for me. It also has a polemical bent to it. This psalm takes a stand. You can see it already in the second verse. David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now in English, Lord occurs twice in that sentence, the same word. But in Hebrew, the Psalms heart language, those are two different words. As you were following along in your Bible, maybe you even saw that your Bible went to lengths to make sure those words were distinguished from each other. In my Bible, the first Lord was all capital letters, and the second Lord was not. That tradition goes back millennia, actually. Because that first Lord is a very special word. It's the most special word in all of the Hebrew language. It's the divine name for God. The name that God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush when God showed God's self to him. It's the name that the Jews were not to take in vain and so out of deep reverence and respect chose never to speak it at all. And in fact, they respected and protected that word so much so that when they wrote their scriptures, they set it apart. They took out all the vowels and they put it in a different script so that you would never even accidentally pronounce the word as you were reading. 
And as you read, when you came to that point, what you would say out loud is actually a different word. You would say Adonai, which is a word that comes into English as Lord. Adonai is actually the second Lord in this verse. And it means Lord in the sense of master, one who has power and authority over another. What the psalmist is saying then is that it's this unique God of Israel, the God who came to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who brought God's people out of slavery in Egypt, the God who brought them to the promised land, the God of Moses and Joshua, Samuel and David, this God and no other, Yahweh, is my master. You have absolute authority and power over me. I belong to you and no other. I have no good apart from you, the psalm says. But then the psalmist goes one step even further. And those who worship other gods multiply their sorrow. And there's the polemic. Not just God is great and good to me. Not just I have chosen to take this God and no other as my master. But anyone who chooses another God will just multiply their sorrows. Not just make a mistake, not just choose the wrong team, but multiply their sorrows. The psalmist takes a stand on this God and against all others. They draw the line in the sand and clearly tell what side they are on. Which is all well and good, but it seems a little antiquated, doesn't it? I mean, who worships other gods? And even if they do, aren't they all just different roads up the same mountain? What really matters is if you're a good person, however we actually define that. We look around ourselves and we don't really see people worshiping other gods. Yeah, there are some Hindu temples around, but we don't regularly incur, encounter people who have shrines in their homes with little figurines to whom they bow and pray and offer sacrifices. So in this context, taking a stand on this God against all others doesn't really seem to be very pertinent to our conversation, right? Right? Much has been written about the changing religious landscape of our world. Studies come out every so often tracking the ever-growing number of nuns, those who identify with no organized religion. Fewer and fewer people self-identify as practicing religions. Our culture is increasingly secular. But I believe we would be mistaken to think that our world is any less religious than it's always been. The problem is one of definitions. See, if by religion you mean robes and, and bowing down and a man upstairs, then yes, we're less religious than we've been. But I don't think that's actually the best definition of a religion. That's just what some of them have looked like, that we're familiar with. A better definition is something like the one writer David Dark offered, 
that religion is the controlling story of our lives. Religion is the story that organizes the data of our life, our world, our experiences. It's what tells us what matters. It's what tells us how to use our time and resources. It's what helps us make sense of our existence. It's what shapes the questions we ask as much as the answers we give. And even deeper than that, religion is what humans turn to in our perpetual striving for self-justification. To prove to ourselves and to the world that we are enough. And when we see it in that life light, religion is all around us. As David Zoll writes in his book, Seculosity, more and more people may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings, but we are more religious than ever, and we have the anxiety to prove it. In that book, Zal traces out all these other rival religions, things like busyness, career, romance, parenting, politics, even leisure. All these things we use to convince ourselves and those around us that we are worthy. Ladders, which promise enough if we'll only rise one rung higher, and then one more, and then just one more, and then just one more. What would it be like if we could recast all of these other pursuits as rival religions, which will not leave us satisfied, which will not leave us at rest or at peace, but instead anxious and strung out, and maybe in the language of the psalmist, multiply our sorrows. Psalm 16 turns to the Lord, the Lord of Israel, and lays all these other gods aside, all these other means of finding enoughness, all these other means of self-justification. In Jesus' language later, they die to themselves and choose to trust in the Lord who is now their master. They choose to become servants of this master and let this Lord instruct and counsel them, guide them, and provide for them. And as for those who choose other gods, they multiply their sorrows. At one level, we get that. And at one level, I think we believe that's true. But at another level, it doesn't seem to be. The psalmist seems confident that followers of God are blessed and others are filled with sorrow. But if that's so, then why do bad things happen to good people? Why have 100,000 people in our country alone lost their lives to a virus that didn't exist seven months ago? Why have something like 600 healthcare workers now died from COVID-19 that they contracted while trying to help and care for people who were sick with it? Why are innocent black men and women like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery senselessly murdered 
Why was a retired police captain murdered by looters while working security at a pawn shop in St. Louis? Why is the incarceration rate of our black brothers and sisters more than 10 times the incarceration rate of our white brothers and sisters here in the state of New Jersey? There's some bold claims in this psalm. And they don't seem to play out. And maybe that's just us. But think even about David. The psalm claims to be written by him. Look even at his life, the one who is the man after God's own heart, the chosen one in so many ways in Israel's history. In verse 10, David prays, You do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful one see the pit. But eventually, God did. David died. David went down to the pit, down into Sheol. So what do we do with this psalm? Well, no less than the apostles Peter and Paul took up that very question. Peter in Acts chapter 2, Paul in Acts 13, each in sermons about Jesus. In those sermons, they quote Psalm 16, Peter much more extensively than Paul. And they say, well, David died, right? His tomb is still here. You can go check it out. He's dead. He's in it. So he must not have been talking about himself. As he prayed these words, he must have been talking about another. He must, they preach, have been talking about Jesus. Because this Jesus they've been telling about died on a cross and they watched him be buried. But he also rose from the dead and of that they were witnesses. They could say, go and check out the tomb if you want. There's no body in it. In this psalm, David is saying more than he knew. He's prophesying in the Spirit. He's telling of the coming Savior, the only truly righteous one who would entrust his protection to God even as he was abandoned on the cross, who would then not be abandoned to death and to Sheol, but raised to new life, and in whom we now find the path of life, the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. It's not in ourselves, but in Jesus, where we find these things to be true. It's in Him, as we give up all these other gods and all other attempts to be enough and to mean something and to matter. It's after we die to all of that and learn to live in Jesus that we find His life. His life that finds us in the pit in the valley, in Sheol itself, that comes into the darkness and shines light and hope. And it's there, after we've fallen off the ladder, been knocked down and knocked out, suffered and wept and maybe even died. It's there where we find the paradox of God's kingdom, that the last will be first that the least will become greatest, that it's in suffering that we find joy, in sorrow that we find hope, and in death that we find resurrection. 
And all of that is true, not just because we are masochists, but we can proclaim these words because when we needed it most, when we were most desperate, it's there that we found Christ holding us. Because we believe that somehow, some way, some day, the whole arc of the universe will be bent back to righteousness and to justice. That the righteous will be vindicated as Christ was, and the wicked punished. That justice will finally be meted out, and order will be restored. And all the injustice in the world that has been born will be transformed somehow into something beautiful that we cannot yet imagine. There, we will be able to say with Christ and with the psalmist, you show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So draw near. Make the Lord your Lord. Come and find protection and refuge. Place the Lord at your right hand that you will not be moved, that you may learn God's ways and so seek justice and mercy and humility all your life. Follow in the Lord's ways and find life and joy forevermore. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.